0: Hey, good morning, Linworth. Let's go ahead and stand. How's everybody doing out there? Got a couple of low goods there, so. Anyway, um, hey, if you're tuning in online this morning, it's good to have you with us as well. And I just wanna remind you about the YouVersion Bible app, if you're at home, just to follow along with the service. And uh, we're also taking communion this morning. So uh, if you're at home um, and you got some bread and uh, maybe some juice of some kind, uh, maybe just have that out and ready for when we take communion. If you're in here and forgot to grab the communion elements, Feel free to grab those in the lobby right now. There's gluten-free options out there as well. And uh, we're going to sing some songs and lift our voices to the Lord. You guys ready? All right. Let's put our hands together. Come on. We'll welcome hannah up here um Hi. She, today's her first sunday singing as a part of the music ministry uh, her and her husband adam have been coming here since like over the summer or
1: yeah, yeah. like last march
0: yeah so um, it's awesome to have them here and also awesome to have hannah up here singing with us so give her another round of applause
1: before we yeah
0: every bird, everything that crawls on the ground, Lord, the plants, the trees, the sun, the moon. And Father, this morning we want to join in with creation because you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of all glory and all honor. But Lord, we need you. We need your strength. We need your help. God, we are totally dependent on you whether we know it or not. The air that's filling our lungs right now that's helping us sing is coming from you, Lord. So help us. Help us to sing your praise. Holy Spirit, fill all of us, all of who we are. Give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ. Give us ears to hear the beauty of Christ so that we might respond.
1: Oh,
0: You can take a seat and uh, kids, you can now be released to your classrooms.
2: Hello, Linworth, how are we doing today? Wow, it's difficult just to do announcements right after that, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right for some reason. Um, How about you just join me in some prayer? Okay, why don't we do that? Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning, the gift of life, the gift of who you are, and the gift of what you give us, uh, no matter what we are going through, whether we're, we're at a high place or at a very, very low place. Uh, you are there, and when we are connected to you, uh, we can sing It is well with our soul. So, Father, we, we, uh, we give this morning to you. Will you speak to us We are anxious, Father, to hear from you, and we are anxious to learn from you. And so uh, that's our hearts this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, hello to those of you uh, listening or watching online. Glad you could join us if this is your first Sunday. Um, So glad that you're here uh, to be with us. And uh, I want to invite everybody to... Uh, This thing called a connect card. So it's either in front of you or it's on your device on the Bible app, and it's a way that we connect uh, with one another. So if, first off, if you are new with us, we'd love for you to fill out that information. Uh, We're going to send you a thank you card, and we uh, just appreciate it. And there's an opportunity for you if you want some information about some other ministries or things going on here, if you want to talk to a pastor, uh, or even more importantly... If you have something that you would like a prayer about uh, go ahead and write that in there and then you can drop those off we have a couple of boxes on your way out and we also invite you to a welcome table which we have out front there and there's a little gift bag for you this is your first time there and there's a few things in there some information about the church uh, Linworth coffee mug and a CD from our worship team so we invite you uh, to do that all right let's gonna walk into just a few announcements this morning now um, not all of you know Abby Hubacher, uh, but she is a missionary that she is from this church and actually her parents are here this morning too they're a part of Linworth and uh, she's a missionary and she is raising some uh, funds for uh, her mission and uh, she is what she's done she's designed these are personally designed and hand drawn by her and her Christmas cards and so uh, what she's doing she has some, a set of Christmas cards that you can purchase. And you can use them this Christmas here. And so we wanted to let you know about that. Uh, They're wonderful. They're out on the welcome table. You can take a look at them, and it's $25, and you get a set of uh, 12 Christmas cards, three each of four different designs. I ordered some uh, last night. It's very easy to do. The information uh, is on your Bible app, and you just uh, go to the website and follow the information that you have on the Bible app. Took about two minutes, and I'm going to wait for my Christmas cards to come. You need to order them by October 15th. So uh, I would encourage you to take a look at them and get those things ordered up as soon as uh, possible. All right, Vision Night is coming up, and uh, we're very excited about that. It's a highlight each year for us. It's on October 24th from 5 to 8 uh, p.m., and we are connecting a harvest party, as we did last year, with it. And so it should be a lot of fun for the entire family. And what we're going to do a little bit different this year is we're going to have a chili cook-off. Yep, a chili cook-off. So a few things that you have to do. If you'd like to enter your chili into the chili cook-off, we need you to sign up. There's a table on your way out to sign up for the the chili cook-off and uh, the information is there and also on here we just need you to make a crock pot of of chili and uh, so we need to know how much is coming so we need to know how much to uh, make uh, make sure everybody is fed. But this is going to be great for the kids, too. We're going to have bounce house. We're going to have games and other things going on. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a hayride for them, too. So uh, we want to invite you that night, not just for the harvest party, but really for vision night, to, to see what we've been doing, to look back at the past year, and then look forward to the, the coming year. So chili cook-off sign-up table in the back. And then finally, uh, we've mentioned this a couple times, that there's a conference that our uh, our, a group of churches that we've been connected with for many 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 years has done a, something called a faith workers conference and so it's live again finally after all the COVID stuff and that's happening December 29th through January 1st and uh, We're going to show you a little video which will give you the theme and the feel of the conference So I want you to sit back and enjoy and then uh, Pastor Chris will come up and finish or continue in our series in revelations
3: morning. encourage you to check out. You can check out the, uh, if you get online, you'll see that there's a Faith Walkers website, and you can get more information for it. Something happened to this morning. It never happened before. I finished up my prep here about 8.15, and I went down to McDonald's to get a breakfast sandwich, and I ordered my little breakfast sandwich, $1.49. That's all it was, and the, um, the person at the, the first window said, the car ahead of you paid for it It never happened to me so I was very excited and I, I, I told my wife and she said well did you pay for the next person that that's how it works oops I was just I was just so dumbfounded by the whole thing I did I as I as we were leaving I, um, there was a red light and I got up right next to her and beat the horn and waved at her. And so nice, nice older woman. Nicer. Actually, my wife threatened to punch her out, but I said, darling, this is like a sweet 75-year-old woman. So she was I, That's joking, of course. This woman was not making an approach to me. I'm gonna go on I'm gonna go on quickly this is see this is why I, this is why I write my sermons this is why I write them because when I go when I go ad-lib it just doesn't go well well this is the fifth week of our study in Jesus's letters to the seven churches in Revelation this week's city is called Sardis Our programming team was discussing this and trying to shake the dust off a little bit, and we got to thinking about all these names. Thyatira, Pergamum, Sardis. Alex Fabian, our student director, thought, these sound like prescriptions. (laughs) Sardis, to me, sounded like a car. Is there a Sardis? My wife went to TARDIS, which is the time machine in the British TV series, Doctor Who. And finally, knowing that the Church of Sardis is no longer in modern-day Turkey, we went searching for it, and lo and behold, we found it. It's in Ohio. It's in Sardis, Ohio. Look it up. Church of Christ in Sardis, Ohio. There's even a couple Google reviews. Both five stars, so it must be okay. They must have taken Jesus' words to heart. You know, it's so small I couldn't even find a website for it, Sardis, Ohio. It looks like the most famous places besides the church is Marv's Place and Sardis Tire and Auto Works. I'm sorry, is anybody from Sardis, Ohio? <laughs> anybody? Okay, has anybody ever heard of Sardis, Ohio? Uh, it must be small. Well, this is what happens when the church programming team takes a turn for the worse, or has had too much coffee. Anyway, our Sardis, our Sardis here, is an ancient miner, and it had been a well-known and famous city, the capital of the ancient Lydian Empire. It had passed through the Persians and the Greeks, and now was in the hands of the Romans. But their glory had faded, and Jesus warns this church that they were facing The same threat. They too were a church well known and regarded, yet at the time of Jesus's visit, all they had left was their reputation. Well, before going on, let's just stand and let's read the passage. If you have a a pew Bible, um, it's page 1029. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And the angel of the church in Sardis, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not yet soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of your words. We're humbled by them. Your presence is here. We've sensed it in the music, we've sensed it in the prayers. Father, speak this morning and help us to be open and willing to hear what you have to say to us, in Christ's name, amen, amen. All right, take a seat. Lying beneath all this church was known for was hypocrisy and spiritual deadness. Barely a spark remained. Here's what John Stott said about Sardis. Sardis was positively humming with activity. There was no shortage in the church of money, talent, or manpower. There was every indication of life and vigor, but outward appearances are notoriously deceptive, and this socially distinguished congregation was a spiritual graveyard. It seemed to be alive, but it was actually dead. It had a name for virility, but it had no right to its name. Its works were beautiful grave clothes, which were but a thin disguise for this ecclesiastical corpse. The eyes of Christ saw beyond the clothes to the skeleton. It was as dead as mutton. It even stank. I'm not sure what dead as mutton is, but it's bad. Whatever it is, is bad. The irony of a close to death church with a great reputation raises questions like how do we evaluate churches? by what is evident to the eye, by the numbers, by the number of ministries or their influence, the criteria that we use says a lot about us. This was likely a large church, maybe a megachurch by first century standards. But size alone is not a predictor or indicator of spiritual health. Being a small church is not inherently better than being a big church. You can find small churches that are dead, and there are megachurches that are vibrant and alive with their inward spirituality matching their outward reputation. But that being said, the important thing for us in this moment is not how we judge other churches. The important thing for us is to not get into a defensive posture of self-righteousness, saying, thank God, we're not like this church. Are not like that church. We must first let the scriptures read us and examine us. The scriptures and hear the words of Jesus, they are our authority. We do not judge them, they judge us. So it is important to be open to the Spirit, pointing out our needs and gaps to our faith. To let the warnings sit on us for a while. To inspire reflection and, if necessary, repentance. It is the spiritually smug church, the unsuspecting church, the unexamined church, as Sam Storm says, that is in danger of becoming dead while it thinks it is very alive. So what does Jesus say to Sardis? There were works in Sardis, right? But they're unfinished works. Now what makes those works incomplete is not clear. It's possible they were done from wrong motives, or they were more concerned with maintaining an image, moving along mechanically, without much heart or spirit. A good reputation is hard to come by, and having achieved it, maintaining it can become the driving force. This church has become an early example of nominal Christianity. In other words, Christian in name only. But while their spark is nearly out, right, it's not too late. If they go backwards and strengthen what they once had, they are called to wake up from their hazy slumber, which literally means to watch. Tying the word watch to what Jesus said in other places, it means to look and to long for his coming and to live in light of his return. Sometimes the best direction a church can go when it's moving forward aimlessly is to go backwards. Moving backwards, remembering what we did at first, can rekindle a fire that has gone out. But this church... Has fallen asleep they are totally unprepared for his return and in verse 3 Jesus employs language used elsewhere to describe his return I will come like a thief in the night but here it has a different meaning I'm not coming back to restore I'm coming back to judge but like our other churches within this large church There were a few, a few, a small minority, who had kept the flame alive. They resisted compromise, both from the culture and, sadly, from the church itself. They had not soiled their clothes. Now, that's a phrase that makes us stop and wonder what exactly does that mean. Soiled along, uh, soiled, given the context here, I think is quite clear. It points to maintaining purity. And if we combine this with what we've learned about first century Rome, this seems to indicate that they did not compromise with the sexual ethics and the idolatry connected to it in Roman cultic worship. And as Rich explained last week, that involvement... In sexual immorality and the cultic worship was what was needed to be accepted and to fit in, and in some cases, to find gainful employment to feed your family. What has Jesus promised them, those few? Two promises. One, they will walk with him dressed in white, there is a reward here for those who prevail through the suffering. You know, all of these letters indicate the Christian life involves a struggle. And the remnant here in Sardis, they're conquerors. You know, other places in Revelation makes clear that these men and women are dressed in white because their robes have been washed by the blood of Christ. Robes, if you're unfamiliar with that metaphor in the Bible, robes are a way of talking about how one establishes their identity or how they seek forgiveness. Now their worthiness reveals the reward of prevailing over evil and compromise. It reveals the grace of God working in their lives to help them persevere to the very end. It is not worthiness in a sense that they are entitled to God's grace, but they win in the end this small minority, Jesus promises, they will win in the end, even though they've appeared to lost everything. In the eyes of the world, they've lost everything. But Jesus says they will win not by and not through imitating or trying to match the political might and power of Rome, but they will win in a more subversive way. This small group, Revelation 12, 11, says this about these kinds of Christians in Sardis. It says, They triumph over Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They won through proclaiming Jesus. They won not through self-sufficiency, but through the weakness of being crucified with Jesus. And they won finally, but not by not clinging to their lives, but by losing them. So that's the first promise. And then the second promise is I will not blot out their names. It's the gift of assurance. These small few, Jesus is saying, You'll be known. You're known now, and you'll be known for all eternity. I found this interesting story from The Guardian. Jean Pochain knows she's not dead, but she has to prove it in court. The 58-year-old French woman was declared dead by a court in 2017 during a decade-long legal case. An employee, Pochain had fired years ago, sued her for lost wages and told a court that Pochain was dead after she stopped responding to the employee's letters. So without evidence, the French court accepted the allegation and leveled a judgment against Pochain's estate. The court's decision set off a chain reaction in France's bureaucracy, which scrubbed her from official records and invalidated her identity cards and licenses. Pochain recently told The Guardian, I have no identity papers, no health insurance. I cannot prove to the banks that I am alive. I'm nothing. Pochain's attorney then presented an affidavit to the court from her doctor attesting to her continued existence, and of course, her former employee said that Pochain had been pretending to be dead in order to avoid paying the court-mandated damages. Church, if we have to prove we're alive, that's not a good sign. It's not a good sign, and the church in Sardis encourages us to reflect on why and how a church dies and what are the signs along the way so the big question for this week and really the big question for the last couple of weeks what can we take away from the story of this church you know one of the big 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 narrative themes We said this in the first week, in the book of Revelation. And we find this in places like chapter 12. Is that Revelation reveals a worldview. Again, a worldview that we can't see with our physical eyes. Revelation reveals Satan's reality and his ongoing war against the church. And if he cannot destroy a church, He seeks to weaken it through compromise. What is the back door that he has found in Thyatira, in Sardis, and in Pergamum? We could look at the verses and find the continued theme in all three churches. Where does the pressure from the culture gather, where does it gather up the winds into a single force and become like a hurricane against the church? It's quite clear. It's in the area of sexual immorality. Now, friends, I know that there are many, many things in our culture that concern you. Things unfolding here in the last couple of weeks, they concern me. But for this morning, this is where our text is. And we trust it is where the Spirit of God is taking us to address the pressure the church is under today to conform to the prevalent sexual ethics of our time. As Rich said last week, this is the portal where Satan seeks to join our church, to sit in our pews right next to us. Again, how does a church die? What are the signs along the way? One sign based on the words of Jesus to the church in Sardis is compromise in this arena. Why do we face such strong temptations? Well, because we naturally, right? We just naturally want to fit in. We want to be accepted. We want to be on the right side of history being on the right side of history has become the litmus test. It's become the ultimate indicator of one who is socially aware, socially sensitive, and not bigoted. Being on the right side of history is increasingly defining who is in and who is out. It defines who might get invited to parties and who may not, or who may get a promotion or who may not, and even in some cases, who keeps a job or loses a job. Now, the very phrase that Jesus uses, again, this is not me, friends. These are his words. The very phrase that he uses, sexual immorality, implies that some sexual behaviors are wrong. Now, on that point, almost everyone still in our culture agrees. Some sexual behaviors are wrong. But which ones are wrong? And who has the authority to define it? That is the critical question for the church. As followers of Jesus, the church who confesses that Jesus is the Christ, we yield that authority to him and no other. So to bear this out more practically, what I would like to do for the remainder of my time is talk about five foundations that lead to compromise in sexual ethics. And I picked this up from an article, uh, a, a man named Brent McCracken. It's on the Gospel Coalition blog. You can look it up, tgc.org. Uh, Brent McCracken is a very astute, a very balanced, a critical comment, a cultural commentator. You can read the complete article there, but I'm going to quote from it heavily here. I rarely do this, uh, this sort of thing, but I found that his ideas crystallize comments that I have felt needed to be said. And I believe they are a prophetic word for the church today. Now, before I do that, I'm going to mention these five. There's five things in a moment. I'm going to mention them. Before I do that, I do want to sharpen our background so that we can see these truths in the relief of all of Scripture. If we don't sharpen what lies in the background of these ideas, it's like picking up a book and starting in the middle. The characters and the storyline is disconnected from its beginning. You know, by the very nature of this topic this morning, we are focusing on the negative. We are. We're focusing on the negative. What not to do. But in this, we must be careful. In this, as we focus on what not is right, we must be careful to not be so reactionary or so angry that people never hear us talking about or explaining or describing the beauty of this gift or the goodness, the inherent goodness of sexuality, a gift from a kind God to humanity. We had described that beauty like a river, a river that flows freely and without obstruction within two river banks, two boundaries, so to speak. One bank or one boundary is the river flows without obstruction inside the covenant love of a public commitment before God and before others, marriage. And the other bank is what we call complementary sex. That is the bringing together of two different human beings, different physically and in many other ways. And in the physical act of sex, the two become one. And in this way, they actually reflect the triune nature of God and their relationship. In other words, the other bank provides the boundary of saying, Sex flows unobstructed when it happens in marriage and between a man and between a woman. Within these banks, sex and our sexuality, the scriptures say, is powerful, beautiful, and honoring to God. It's good. Friends, the reason I say this, I'm I'm, I'm in a little bit of a parenthesis here if you're following me, The reason I say this is that the world is longing for beauty. Are you aware of that? The world is longing for beauty. And we see evidence of this everywhere. And one of the great challenges of the church for this generation is to not only call out what is wrong and harmful and destructive, but to articulate the beauty of the gospel and God's marvelous design, and that includes sexuality. sexuality. And I will add to this that the verbal presentation of these truths will not do it alone. Words alone from preachers will not do it. We need, in this generation, Christ-loving artists who will expound on this beauty such as to penetrate mind and soul, the whole being, We need the beauty of all God's truth reflected in song, film, visual art, sculpture, and every other artistic means. The gospel today is being cast as something ugly, hateful, and regressive. Those of us who've tasted Jesus, those of us who've experienced freedom, grieve at this characterization of our Savior. Do we not? We grieve. Two other elements I'd like to add to this background briefly is remember this. Jesus initiated with and loved the sexually sinful and broken, and so should we. As we discuss truth, it must be joined at the hip with compassion. And secondly, all of us to one degree or another have been sexually broken and or we bear the scars of sexual abuse or we bear the scars of our own terrible choices. We're all sexually broken to one degree or another. Okay, so with that background so that we can see these five things in a sharper relief and see the whole story, let me go through these. I'm gonna go through them quite quickly. You can read the whole article if you'd like. McCracken Uh, In his article begins by citing the troubling numbers, troubling numbers of famous Christian celebrities or college students who have announced their evolving beliefs on the Christian faith, or their deconstruction journey, leading many to abandon their faith. Now, indeed, there are the journeys of others who. They are authentic wrestlings and examining their doubts, and it eventually leads to a more resilient and thoughtful faith. Yet for others, this journey is cynical, reactionary, and results in deconversion, a word that is quickly growing in our lexicon. McCracken, in his own experience, I would say, I've also experienced this, says the issue that stands out as the Jenga piece most likely to cause the whole tower of faith to collapse is biblical sexual ethics. And he goes on to say that in the landscape of contemporary Western Christianity, most roads away, this is again, friends, I'm just speaking here of a sociological reality. Most roads away from Orthodox faith travel through an increasingly populous pit pit stop called LGBTQ plus affirming. It's a stop that doesn't just change the route, it reconfigures the whole map. If you didn't follow what I was saying there, is that for many celebrities, many young Christians, it is the issue of how we look at the LGBTQ plus affirming community that has become the nexus point, the fire point where many have either abandon their faith or they have so reconfigured the authority of Scripture that Scripture begins to lose its very meaning. He says, McCracken, if we ignore, dismiss, or question what Scripture says about sex and identity, it naturally leads to further questioning of Scripture's authority and an even shakier faith. But more and more Christians, even those steeped in scripture and raised in church from a young age, are making that move. Now again, I, I hope you hear me on this. We are not talking here about condoning hate or discrimination or justifying angry, demeaning, or violent behavior. If you're hearing that, then that's in your heart. That's not what I'm communicating. Um, Those are the kinds of things that have darkened the church's witness in the past, in its treatment of same-sex individuals, both inside and outside the church. But it's critical that you see what I am talking about. What we are talking about is the very authority that we give Scripture to speak to the issues of our day. And these issues, certainly they have political implications but they are not controversial because they are political. I think this is a very important point. They are not controversial because they are political. That's actually a secondary effect. They are controversial because people care so deeply about them, their sexuality, and attach their value and identity to them. That's why this issue is so controversial It simply spills into the political arena. And that's important for us as believers to see because we have to realize these are first human issues. They are people issues. They're not first political issues. They are first human issues. And we might even say they are religious issues because for many in our culture, they attach ultimate value, that's what religion is. It's what you give ultimate value to. For many in our culture, they attach ultimate value to their sexual freedom and identity. But if sexual ethics is the line in the sand issue of our day, where does this originate? What sets up the compromise to Christians collapsing in this area? And I'm going to have to go through this quickly, and I will. Let's go through these quickly. Five things McCracken says set us up for failure are collapsing. Number one is that for many, their faith is consumeristic. What he means by this is that they understand their faith through a box of what is self-enhancing. Faith is okay in this view if it does not impede on my autonomy or put boundaries on my truth self. Faith is okay if it does not subtract from my life. Faith is okay as long as its beliefs are not controversial. If you have a consumeristic sense of faith, it will make your sexual ethics very soft and malleable. Because... If my happiness or right to express myself is consider- considered a higher good than Scripture's authority, then self will be chosen over Scripture. Let's look at a second one. It's prag- pragma- pragmatism. Many in the church today are pragmatic. What do I mean by this? What does he mean by this? What he means is that For many in the church, the goal is to become as effective evangelistically as possible, to get as many people to church as possible. This is very connected to felt needs and to PR and to public opinion and to image and to meeting people where they're at. These are all, in one sense, good things and people have good intentions. They're not necessarily bad things. But when pragmatism prevails over the authority of Scripture, it's counterproductive. More and more of the Bible's teaching on sex goes against the grain of public opinion and it's bad PR. McCracken asks a piercing question, one that I don't like to hear, I don't want to hear it, but it's true. McCracken says, What happens when one biblical theme like sexual ethics makes faith a non starter? for masses of would-be converts. Pragmatic Christianity makes the calculated decision that we ignore or reinterpret sexual ethics so as not to damage the PR value of our church. Thirdly, political. What does he mean here? What's he mean here? Here's what he says, biblical orthodoxy. Biblical orthodoxy will never fit into any nation's tidy, partisan political system. Political parties, what are they? They are the culmination of human effort to create a vision of the good. And indeed, sometimes those visions intersect with the kingdom of God. But the very political system at its base, they are driven by human beings to achieve human goals and so for some certainly not all but for some when political affiliation gets joined to theology the politics begins to shape the theology not the other way around again this can make sexual ethics mushy for example some certainly not all but some on the left have replaced their view of sexual ethics to fit in with the prevailing orthodoxy of the left. Some, certainly not all, but some on the right have ignored or downplayed or excused the sexual behavior of conservative leaders, even while condemning the sexual ethics on the other side. Again, Does politics shape our theology, or does theology shape our politics? If politics shapes our theology, it will set us up for compromise on sexual ethics. Fourth, being emotionalistic, or we might say being overly emotional. Now, I say overly emotionalistic because emotions are important and vital, but there's a whole... Brand of the Christian faith that allows emotions and experiences to be the litmus test for orthodoxy. And when we define truth by how something makes me feel, it opens us up for sexual compromise, compromising sexual ethics. This kind of faith can lead us to say that God would never want me to judge anyone I've seen this happen, there's a certain progression that takes place. A friend or a family member, someone you love, comes out as LGBTQ. Or a friend or family member is involved and engaged in heterosexual sex outside of marriage. Someone you love, someone you know, someone you connect with intimately. And there's a shift that takes place. The the, the believer assumes that loving this person requires affirming their identity or their behavior. And the Christian realizes that affirming both this loved one and affirming God's word on the subject are mutually exclusive. And then the believer chooses to affirm the loved one, affirming their choices, not just welcoming them, not just loving them, but affirming their choices, and thus downplaying or rethinking Scripture's authority. Number five, on the opposite side of that is believers that are... They're so cerebral, it's all in their head. They're overly cerebral. I mean, that should bur- bolster us, right? The truth should bolster us against the hurricane gales. But like the overly emotional, this too runs very deep in the church. Overly cerebral folks, they, they equate knowledge of the Bible, they equate knowledge of the Bible with spiritual maturity. They might have extensive knowledge, but knowledge without obedience, knowledge without integration makes one think they are more spiritual than they truly are. It makes one think they are more grounded than they truly are. So you get the church planter with the secret porn addiction. You get the seminary student sleeping with his girlfriend. You get the pastor preaching against gay marriage while he's carrying on an extramarital affair. McCracken said that young Christians have seen so much of this that they just get disoriented and disillusioned by that picture. Consumeristic, pragmatic, political, emotionalistic, and cerebral. These things set us up for compromise. Have you seen any of these five in yourself? I certainly have seen them in myself. As I think back over the years, I've seen all five at points working in my heart trying to, trying to get a wedge in terms of the authority of Scripture, the authority of what God says. And so if you've seen them in yourself, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed, but but be honest and take stock and shore up your faith. Patch the holes so it can hold up in the storm. Brent McCracken concludes his article by saying this, friends, it's going to be harder for us to stay faithful in this issue, not easier it's going to be harder, not easier. Let's close by looking at these promises. Revelation 3, verses 4 through 6. This is what Jesus says to those who remain faithful. What Jesus says to those who, though they're a minority, though it feels like they're losing, they don't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. He says this, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me. Isn't that beautiful? They will walk with me. Not teacher student relationship, not lecturer. They'll walk with me. Intimacy, friendship, love. Walk with me in the cool of the garden. They'll be dressed in white any of you struggling with shame and guilt from abuse that you received or terrible choices you made sexually? What would it be like to come to Christ Jesus and to receive his forgiveness and have all of that sexual sin and shame and guilt and brokenness tied to it be forgiven forever? Dressed in white, pure, The one who is, for they are worthy. Christ, not worthy in our own merit, but worthy through the grace of Jesus. The one who is victorious will like them, be dressed in white, and I will never blot out your name, those names from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Isn't that really cool? Hey, Father, here, there's my servant. Hey, there's Lance. Father, here's my servant, Lance. Father, there's my servant Leah. Father, there's my servant Taylor, right there. He's going to acknowledge you before the Father. He's going to honor you before the Father. Don't ever let anyone tell you that believing in God's rewards are selfish. They are not. They are a part of the way that we sustain. Build a sustaining faith is we have hope in and we look to the reward that Christ will give those who are victorious. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. Nick, why don't you come on up and we'll pray and we're going to uh, take communion here in a moment as well. But let's pray and thank Jesus for His Word. Father, thank you for Your Word this morning to us. It's a hard word to receive, Lord, and I Even as I speak it, I know that uh, even the things that I said could be misunderstood. But Jesus, uh, your word is so clear on this, and we acknowledge Jesus is the Christ, and He's expressed Himself. Father, You've expressed Yourself through Your Word, and it is our authority. It gives us life. It protects us from from terrible decisions. It leads us into life everlasting. It expresses your love. It expresses your justice. It expresses your mercy. It expresses your mind. We love your word. And we invite your authority into our lives. Help us, Father, please. We, we know that we naturally resist it, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can invite and receive and embrace you and your leadership in our lives. We remember the words of Jesus, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus, help us to obey your commands and to do it from not a legalistic, but from a motive of love and wholeheartedness. Would you go ahead and take the bread and the cup this morning, this is something for every believer, no matter what denominational background you come from, something for every believer this morning Take it together, beginning with the bread. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. To the sexually broken, to those filled with sexual shame and guilt, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Let's take that he was betrayed and began the pathway to the cross he said this is my cup the covenant the promise the promise of forgiveness forgiveness to all who suffer from sexual sin and sexual brokenness he said take this and drink it's a symbol it's a sign it's a promise of my forgiveness forgiveness what freedom what joy guilt and shame removed let's take the cup and drink
1: Jesus, the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one who could ever say, You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for You. love, oh Lord, that casts out of fear, so I will not be shaken. Found it
3: here he's been with us he's here in his presence ministering to us speaking to us guiding us and leading us and teaching us inspiring us to worship him and put him in the center of our lives and to give his word uh, the authority in our lives Um, welcome again to all that if you are here for the first time if you're visiting please stop by our uh, connection desk and pick up a uh, pick up a gift Reminder that this Wednesday night, this Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, we'll have Eric Chabot here. Eric will be helping us to answer the questions of our friends that are far from God. And uh, this week he's going to talk about the question of how do you know that God exists? And uh, so come here at 7 o'clock. It will also be um, live streamed as well. And so if you can't be here in person, you can check it out on our live stream. I'll be here for a few minutes. Um, for prayer this morning, if you've heard the words in your heart, come and walk with me. And maybe that means repentance to you. Maybe it means leaving behind you the guilt and shame of a broken past. Maybe it means reconciling with someone else. But whatever it means, come down and receive prayer that we can give to you and bring the presence of God into your situation through prayer, and that you can hear and respond to that invitation, walk with me. Now, may Jesus Christ be above and below you. May he be behind and in front of you and go before you, and may Christ be with you, and may Christ, the hope of glory, be in you. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.